Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 72, and it's a very special episode because we don't have to do a past guest spotlight because our past guest is here with us today. We have Matt, who you probably know better on Instagram as WDW Paparazzi. You may remember him back from episode number 29. Matt has evolved what he's offering, doing a brand new project that we're here to talk about today. So Matt, before we jump into that, if you could reintroduce yourself for our listeners who maybe aren't or haven't listened to your past episode and aren't as familiar with you. Great. Thanks, Brendan and uh, Catherine. Happy to be back and uh, excited to, uh, to come on the show again. Wow, episode 29 to 72, you guys have certainly uh, had a great run these last couple months as well. Um, yeah, so I, uh, my name's Matt, but as Brendan mentioned, I have the Instagram account, WDW Paparazzi, and also uh, have a blog um, through a site called Hospitality Vitae, where I blog about all things Disney and share my passion for Disney with um, all kinds of people out there. Perfect. Yeah, so we're so happy to have you back. Um, so the project that you're working on is something really fun and really unique. I think that I haven't seen anybody else work on and it's going through your Disney library. So first of all, if you could just kind of tell us what is that all about and what were kind of the goals that you had in mind when you decided to jump into that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, a couple of reasons actually. Um, so I, and I actually mentioned this in a, in a, in a blog I did last summer, you know, now I have three kids who are all. Um, you know, in sports these days, I have two boys who are playing baseball right now. In fact, as we speak, I'm up at the baseball field for one of my son's practices. Um, so they're in baseball. I got a daughter who's uh, in gymnastics. So the opportunity to get to the parks um, right now is a little bit less frequent than I ideally would like it to be. And so the, um, the opportunity to start this new project was a way for me to stay passionate about all things Disney while the park visits are less frequent as they uh, ideally could be. And that project is, um, yeah, the Disney Library. So one of the things that I've always sort of been passionate about is the history of Disney and the story of you know Walt himself, but really how the company has evolved over the last 90 years um, or whatever it's been since you know Walt Disney uh, or Disney Brothers studio began um in the 20s and, and how it's evolved over the last nearly 100 years uh, to turn into the walt disney company as we know it today so i've always had a passion for for learning as much as i can about the history and the culture of the company and now um i've turned it into a little side project that i do on my instagram account where once a week i'll take one of the books that i've picked up over the last few years and share it with um some of my uh some of the people who who follow along yeah, I love that. And I especially love kind of how this project came to be um, just with, you know, not being able to go to the parks and wanting to keep that, you know, kind of Disney magic alive in your life. I think this is such a fun and really a creative way to do that. So I think that's so great. Yeah, th- no, thank you for that. Because, um, yeah, you know, I find myself on weekends and as much as I love coming to my kids sporting events, it takes up your whole life. Um, and for those of you with kids and you might have the same experiences. So the idea was, again, to just sort of find something that was able to keep my Disney passion alive in between my park visits. And the one thing I've noticed is is 
you know, for example, one of the books that I have that I really enjoy is um, Poster Art of the Disney Parks. And so it's basically a collection. It's an oversized book with collections of all the posters that you'll find not only in Walt Disney World, but around the world. And so it's fun to sort of go through these books. And then when you actually do visit the parks, you can look for them and you can sort of know the backstory behind them, how they were created, who the, the artist was, you know, how they were designed and all these things. So it almost gives you a greater appreciation for all the details of the parks when you have the backstory through some of these books. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I don't know if you know this, but our office is filled with attractions posters. So that's something that we collect. So I'm sure that's a book that we would love going through. And I think that, you know, like you said, kind of valuing the history of the company and how that's evolved over time is something that is new to kind of Catherine and I. Um, That's something that we haven't keyed into too much, but we're reaching that point where we're wanting to appreciate kind of the backstory and, and how things came to be what they are. So I love that uh, process that you went through and, and sharing those passions. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny because you know, I think I shared this in, one, in, in my first uh, time on with you guys was that I only moved down to Florida about five years ago. So you know, when I was living up in the Washington, D.C. area growing up, certainly Disney was a part of my life, but not as big a part of it as it is now because I, you know, I wasn't that close to it. And so I, even as a child, I would find ways to sort of fill the gaps in between my annual trips to just soak up as much of the, the company and the history and, and all that as I could. So it's funny because I'm, I'm a member of the Disney Movie Club, which I have been since before I had kids. And the thing about that is it's a great club, by the way, but I haven't actually purchased a movie through them in maybe five years because they are a little bit you know, more expensive than you would be able to find them at Target. Um, so what you have to do is you have to decline them every month. And if you don't do that, then they send you one anyway. And so about two days ago, I get one in the mail, and my wife looks at me kind of cockeyed, like, I thought you canceled your membership like three years ago. And I'm like, well, no, I, I just pampered myself to canceling it, you know? Like, I've, I've been a member of it for like 15 years now, and it's, you know, it's kind of part of... uh who I am. So I was like, no, no, I haven't canceled. So then when you get one of these movies, you got to send it back on your own and they give you your full refund. But it's just kind of funny that even, you know, and when I was a younger adult, four kids were even part of the picture, you know, I was still soaking it up with the movie club and the books and all that stuff. That's interesting. Uh, we've never jumped in that. I'm surprised that our, like our families didn't do that. Do you anticipate that Disney plus is kind of going to wipe out that need? Well, the other thing, too, about that is that most of the movies I purchase nowadays, I do digitally anyway. Yeah. You know, it started with the Disney Movies Anywhere app, and now that's expanded you know, beyond Disney Movies. But the Movies Anywhere app, you know, most of the movies I purchase nowadays, I only purchase digitally. So I haven't even bought a physical disc in a long time. So, but yeah, so I think between the streaming um, service and, you know, this Movies Anywhere app where you can basically watch them through any device... Uh, yeah, you might you might start to see some of that being phased out over time, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, you know I've uh, it, it was a really cool deal when I first signed up. I'm going back about 15 years. You, you got like you sign up and you get like five movies for a dollar, and then all you have to do after that is basically buy one. You know, over the next, you know, I think you'd buy three more at full price over the next like two years or something like that, and then you fulfilled your commitment. So I mean, it's actually a good deal, but you do have to be diligent about declining the future title because if you don't they'll ship it to you anyway and then you gotta 
either pay for it or send it back. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So I guess back to the book. So yeah. you talked about <laughs> the history books and you talked about that cool poster book. What other like genres or types of Disney books do you have or that would you like to cover? Well, you know, and the, the, my favorite book of all time, and it's not just Disney, and it's one that I actually featured on the first sort of episode of this Disney Library uh, project, was the, um, the the official Walt Disney Encyclopedia by uh, the late um, Dave Smith, uh, who obviously, for those of you who aren't aware, he was the chief archivist of the Disney company for many, many years. He was hired by Walt himself. He passed away um, just this past uh, this past winter. And, um, I mean, talk about a loss to the Disney community because if there's anybody who was solely responsible for capturing the history and making sure that it was never lost or never forgotten, it was, it was this gentleman. And so the, the official Disney encyclopedia by Dave Smith is without a doubt my favorite Disney book. I mean, it's probably a thousand pages, if not more. And it's not the kind of book that you're going to like pick up and read cover to cover in one sitting, although you probably could. And I've, I've been tempted to do that. But it's really the kind of book that, you know, every once in a while you'll just pick it up and leaf through it, um, and you'll find something that you never knew. You know, you just it, it, it's full of these little treasures of information that, you know, you never knew uh, you never knew existed about the company, and then you're always learning something. And it's probably, I got it for Chris, so it's been, there's been five editions of it the most recent of which came out in 2016. So I got it for Christmas a little over two years ago, December of 2016. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that it has not left my nightstand in those two and a half years. Um, it's, it's, I basically pick it up a couple times a week and leaf through it. And there's always something new to discover. So that's without a doubt my favorite, my favorite of the Disney books that I own. Mm, that's awesome. That That's, that's, we need that Catherine. We need a new coffee table book. <laughs> I know, we're going to go look it on is, Amazon now. It is super cool. It is super cool. And, um, you know, it's funny because you, you almost rewrite history a little bit. I grew up convinced. Now, I wasn't as big a Disney fan as I was as, as a kid as I am now, clearly. But I visited Disney World when I was about 19 um, in 1999. And it was the first time I visited the parks probably in... I know seven or eight years. I went through a period during my, my later childhood where I wasn't visiting, but I have a younger brother who's nine years younger than me and he was about 10. So this was his first visit. And so I went with him. Um, I was a senior in high school. I went, you know, I was a, a freshman in college. We went and, um, we rode Splash Mountain. And then when I re when, then when I went to Disney World again years later with my family and then with kids, I was telling my kids, I grew up loving this ride. This is my favorite ride when I was your age. I love it. I love the backstory. I love the, the song of the South theming behind it. I had somehow convinced myself that I grew up with this ride. When I finally got this uh, Disney Encyclopedia book a couple of years ago, I was leafing through it. And I found out that ride didn't even open until 1992 or something like that. <laughs> so I somehow invented in my head that I grew up going on this ride in the mid-80s with my family. Which clearly that didn't happen. I almost wanted to write to Dave Smith and be like, are you are you sure? Like I, I could have sworn that I was on this ride as a child, but I, I wasn't. So anyway, uh, I found things in that book that have sort of uh, refuted some of my own Disney history, if you will. It's funny that you mentioned that because I've had a similar experience recently 
where I was convinced that I rode Horizons as a kid. And I <laughs> yeah. was talking to my parents, and they're like, we never went on that ride. Like, never. So I guess I just yeah. imagined it or adopted it from YouTube and decided that I was on it. But whatever it was, <laughs> that's yeah. Funny. I don't know why. I just assumed it was always back there with right next to Thunder Mountain. I was like, yeah, I was like seven years old and rode that. I mean, it didn't open until I was 12, so it didn't happen. <laughs> That's funny. So talking about Disney authors, besides Dave Smith, since it sounds like he's probably at the top of your list, do you have any others that really stand out of, of ones that you like to collect all of their new books that they put out? Or is it really just any Disney book in general that you, you find any interest in them? Yeah, I would say, you know, my favorite books are the ones that are put out by the Disney company themselves. And a lot of them are done, not necessarily by one author per se, but um, a collection of, you know, the Imagineers. There's a Disney Imagineering book that's fascinating. And it takes you sort of behind the scenes to some of the uh, the inspiration behind some of the details in the park. You know, they have, you know, original sketches of some of the rides or attractions, some of the models of some of the attractions. So, you know, the ones that are done by the, you know, the official ones that are done through the Disney company are my favorite because those are the ones where you know you're getting the real deal, you're getting the real behind-the-scenes look at the company. And again, it gives you a greater appreciation for the parks when you go and, and, and you're on an attraction and you can say, wow, I, I remember reading the story about how this one was built or how this one came to be. Um, so it, it, it helps sort of make the, make the story uh, more holistic when you're experiencing the ride and you know the backstory behind it before you even go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that, to me, would just probably be the most interesting part of Disney history. That'd be really interesting to look at, for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, the other, there's another collection of books. Again, it's not necessarily one author, per se. I only have one of them, which is the Coco one. But but they started to come out with um, the art of, you know, the art of Coco, for example. They have the art of Wreck-It Ralph, the art of The Incredible. So anytime there's a new animated movie, they, they put it, you know, all the artwork and all the still you know, shots from the film or whatever into a book. Uh, it's beautiful, and the images are stunning. The only one I have, like I said, is Coco, but I, I probably plan to add to that collection at some point as well. But the Coco one is, was the one I wanted to start with because, I mean, to me, of all the animated movies that have come out in the last 10-plus years, I think that is by far the most, most breathtaking in terms of the colors and the vividness of the, of the, uh, of the animation, without a doubt. Yeah, and as you were talking about that, um, me and Brendan are sitting here thinking, I think we have one of those books on our little ottoman downstairs. It's an up art book. Ah, it might be yeah. something similar. Yeah, I, I, I don't know when it started, but I've noticed that every time I'm in Barnes & Noble, whatever the latest movie out is, they have the, you know, the art of that movie um, in the Disney section. Yeah. So something that I'm just kind of curious about since we are talking about books um, and I do like to read, even though I don't get to read as much as I would like. But outside of the Disney realm, what is your favorite like non-Disney book? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of nonfiction. I have to say, um, right now I'm reading the newest book by Howard Schultz, the, uh, the former CEO of Starbucks. Mm-hmm. who I think is even toying with the presidential run in 2020, not that we want to get into politics on this <laughs> particular podcast, but I've always been a big fan of Howard Schultz. I've, I've read a lot of his books, and I've, I've admired the way that he ran Starbucks. And um, So, you know, business-type books, leadership books of that nature, 
certainly uh, are the ones that are high on my list. Uh, you know, books by Stephen Covey, John Maxwell, some of these more um, well-known leadership gurus. Those are the books I sort of gravitate toward. Have you ever read Creativity Inc.? I don't think so, though it sounds very familiar. It's from, I can't remember the name of the author, but he was with Pixar. And it's about okay. how they built the culture um, and the company profile of Pixar. Wow. It's a really great read. That Yeah, that sounds like it would be right up my alley for not only the Disney angle, but sort of business and uh, you know, creativity angle as well. And that reminds me of another author, speaking of creativity, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, Tipping Point, Blink, all those. Uh, another one of my favorite authors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could just go down the rabbit hole because Malcolm Gladwell's <laughs> podcast is maybe my favorite non-Disney podcast. Nice. I'll check it out. So perfect. So last thing we wanted to cover, and then we'll jump into our modified fast pass round since you played previously what was our lightning round. <laughs> but before we do that, you talked about – so you write blogs for hospitalityvti.com. I think last right. time we talked, we you were going through a series – of reasons for like a non-Disney person to go to the parks or, or reasons for people to go. And then I know you did some Mickey celebration stuff. So could right. you just kind of talk us through what else you've been up to over there? Yeah, sounds good. Now, yeah, uh, as I mentioned, I think on the first time I was on, you know, the blog is really meant to appeal to not your avid Disney fan. You know, the person, like I said, who might find themselves part of a Disney trip they didn't necessarily plan. Or, you know, their, their wife comes to them and says, guess what? We're going to Disney World. And the husband is like, oh, neat. You know, what am I supposed to do? All the kids are running around chasing after Mickey Mouse. And so the idea was to sort of write a blog um, that featured some of the things that people might not realize you get to experience when you're going to Disney. Um, so that was, that was sort of the genesis behind the four-part series last fall. And so far in 2019, uh, yeah, I did, a, I did a blog. Oh, it's funny because, Brendan, I actually quoted you in my, in my last in my last blog post, because we had a funny conversation about, and you had the brilliant line, which was, you know, Disney is so much more than just standing in line and waiting around to meet Mickey Mouse. And I was like, you're right. It's so much more than that. But this blog post is kind of like, you know what? It is about that. At the end of the day, as Walt himself said, you know, let's not forget, it all started with a mouse. And really, at the end of the day, Mickey Mouse is still the star of the show. And this being his 90th year, um, you know, Disney decided to turn 2019 into one year long celebration of 90 years of Mickey Mouse. So that was really what the first blog post was about. And there are many opportunities to, to uh, celebrate 90 years of Mickey, not just in the parks, um, but outside of them. I happened to actually come across the Mickey bars at my local Publix here in South Florida about two weeks ago. I bought every box they had in the freezer because I haven't seen them since. I mean, literally, it was just one day I happened to be strolling by the uh, the frozen section and I saw them sitting there. I was like, I gotta buy a, I gotta buy a ball of them. And I bought four boxes and I haven't seen them since. So keep an eye out for those. But the uh, the one thing I regret not being able to do, and I saw some of my friends that I that I um, follow on Instagram got to go to the exhibit in New York City this past um, this past winter. I think it started in November and it ended in early February, but the, the true original Mickey exhibit in New York city looks fantastic. And I'm, I've been keeping an eye on things to see if they bring that exhibit to other cities. Cause it'd be a shame if that, you know, lasted three months and just disappeared forever. But that looked, that looked pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Agreed. We f- stroll down the ice cream novelty aisle 
every time we're in public. In so many grocery stores. We even looked. We were just with my sister in Orlando. We even checked hers, and we couldn't find any. Yeah. I listen. I I, there's, I pass at Publix every day on my way home from work, and I am not exaggerating when I say I would stop by there every night on my way home from work for about three weeks straight. <laughs> didn't find them, and then one day, I almost missed it. Like I just because I just assumed I wasn't going to find it, so I kind of just sort of nonchalantly stroll through the aisle, and I was like, "Oh my god, there they are!" And uh, still have them in the freezer. The kids have been enjoying them, and uh, I've been enjoying them just as much, if not more. We're convinced that the Publix employees bought them all up like before they even hit the shelves yeah. in, our, in our grocery stores. Well, the funny thing is, now that now that I know that they had them once, I go back and there's not even a slot for them. Oh. Like there are, there are empty slots in the freezer, but it doesn't say like you know Mickey Mouse bar or anything. It, so I don't know if they're ever going to come back. Hmm. I hope they do. Yeah, but that's just another reason for me to get back to Orlando here really soon because if I can't get the Mickey bars here, I'll have to just drive up and get them. Yeah, if you got to you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> so awesome. So I thank you so much. I really think this project is so much fun and it's so informative and it's keyed us on to so many books even through this conversation that we had no idea about. So I think it's a great thing that you're doing um and yeah, we we look forward to seeing how that evolves and I know so many people are going to enjoy it. But the next thing we'll jump into, like I mentioned, you already did what was then called our lightning round. So now we call it fast pass round. We got some new questions like that we're going to give you the opportunity to answer. And then we have some brand new ones that we just pulled out of right field for our baseball reference. Since you're at the <laughs> field. You, nicely done. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we'll just uh, run through those. So, Catherine, you want to kick it off? Okay. So the first one is if you could only fast pass one ride for the rest of your life, which one would it be? This might surprise some people, but I've often said that the only ride I don't want to go out and let me say the only ride, but one of the only attractions or rides that is guaranteed to change, no matter how many times you ride it, is Kilimanjaro Safari, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's the only ride where you you are guaranteed, no matter what time of day you ride, you're guaranteed that it's going to be different than the last time you experienced it. So it's not my favorite ride in the park, uh, Animal Kingdom. It's not one of my favorite rides in Walt Disney World in general. But if I had to pick only one to do for the rest of my life be a fast pass i would probably have to pick the safari because you're guaranteed to get a different experience every time you try it i like that answer. that is such a good answer i expected you to say like tower of terror or something like that you know but that's a good one yeah you know i thought about that because you know like i probably wrote i've probably ridden that attraction 20 times in the last four years and the most recent time i was on it was this past november and for the first time, I got a really good shot of uh, one of the cheetahs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, you know, and I had been trying to get that shot for so many years and I finally got it. So, again, I mean, just the, if you're especially if you're in photography, which we've talked about on, on my previous one with, you know, Lewis and Disney Nuts and the Disney Colors Group. If you're in the photography, that one is awesome because it's always a challenge to try to spot some of those animals that um, aren't always out there. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's definitely like you hit the jackpot with that one because I don't think I've ever really seen the cheetah like not up against the wall. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the they're tough fence. to find, but she was walking around and I got a pretty decent shot of her. Mm-hmm. Our last safari, we saw a crocodile moving for once, which yeah. was wow. very rare. Yeah, that's cool. that's cool. So next one, sticking with rides and attractions, which ride do you think is due for an exit or a refurbishment from the parks? Well, um, 
and I actually did an Instagram post about this not too long ago as well, is um, I don't know if it's due for a refurbishment, but I would welcome this refurbishment, which would be the uh, the Grand Fiesta Tour at Epcot, uh, Mexico, maybe get turned into a Coco uh, themed attraction. I love, you know, I just mentioned the Coco book and the Coco, you know, artwork and the animation and the beauty of the film itself. I would love to see all of that Mexico pavilion turned into a Coco themed pavilion. Um, like I said, they already kind of have, um, you see a lot of the, the Coco sort of, uh, artwork and some of the pro, you know, you have, uh, Dilla Cruz's guitar on display. Um, this is Hector's guitar really, but you know, the guitar is on display. And so I would love to see that ride turned into a, uh, a Coco themed ride. You know, as you say that, it hurts my heart to say this because we're, we love like the three caballeros, but I could definitely see that happening, especially with them like changing the frozen ride and kind of embracing the newness and everything. I could so see that happening. How about we just have both? Then I'm happy. <laughs> both would work. There's actually a big debate. I, I shouldn't say big debate, but there has been some debate among some you know Disney purists around how much of the Disney intellectual property is too much when it's infused in the parks. Um, and I, and I think again, being a Disney enthusiast, like I don't think there's ever too much, you know, I think it's brilliant. First of all, it's brilliant marketing on their part. And I think if you own the, if you own the movies, you own the material, you should infuse them into the parks as often as you can. And, um, you know, especially for children too, because, you know, when I bring my kids there, I mean, they don't necessarily, they didn't necessarily grow up with, with the three caballeros, but they certainly know Coco. So when they see Miguel on a ride, they're going to go crazy for him. Yeah. Crazy random tangent. But when we were on our cruise this past week, you know, of course, you only get limited TV channels. And they showed Mickey's Roadster Racers or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the three Caballeros yeah. were in there. And Horace Horsecaller and Clarabelle. Oh, wow. I was shocked to see those classic They're characters. They're getting, like, revamped. Oh, yeah. That is cool. That is cool. I didn't know that. I mean, my kids actually stopped watching the Mickey Mouse. That one's on Disney Junior. They haven't watched that one as much. They still are into the Disney Junior shows. My daughter is obsessed with Fancy Nancy now, mm -hmm. which I just read. She'll be making appearances at Hollywood Studios in May, I believe, as part of the 30th anniversary stuff there. So uh, maybe I'll have to get them to watch Roadster Racers again because those are some great characters for sure. I mean, we enjoyed it <laughs> on, our, <laughs> on our cruise late at night. Yeah. That's cool. So these are kind of the off-the-wall questions. So these are the okay. new ones. Um, so what is your favorite country in the world showcase? Well, just in the interest of uh, not being repetitive, I would have said Mexico if I hadn't already talked about Mexico. <laughs> uh, Got to go with France, I think. Um, I think they're all great. I do love France, though. Um, in fact, this past Christmas season, finally got to meet Belle in her gorgeous red Christmas gown. That was something that I wanted to do since last uh, Christmas season. So I just love the ambiance of France and um, the food and, you know, the Beauty and the Beast theming. Uh, it's, it's definitely my favorite, I think. That's a good one. So next would be your favorite character, Disney character. <sighs> you know, I got to go with Oswald. Speaking of some of these classic characters that don't get the love and attention that uh, they, they probably deserve nowadays. doesn't get any more classic than the original. And um, 
that's actually another book that I have as well. The, uh, the a book dedicated to the history of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and it features some of his classic cartoons that that existed way back in the 1920s. I was hoping, um, because, and I'm still holding out for this, by the way, because he was the um, the main sort of mascot, if you will, of the Walt Disney World 5K race this past January. It was him on the medal. He was on the T-shirt. He was there actually at the race doing meet and greets. And because he's no longer in California, I just assumed that as part of this whole 90th anniversary Mickey Mouse celebration that Oswald would be a regular meet and greet in 2019. So far, that hasn't happened, but I'm still holding out that uh, that he'll be there. And in fact, I was supposed to be in the 5K race. Something came up personally that I couldn't make it up there for that. Um, so I had my chance to meet Oswald a couple months ago, and it didn't happen. So I'm still holding out for uh, a chance to meet him at some point this year. And I know he's also been at a lot of the special uh, DVC events like Moonlight Magic and such, but other than that, I don't think he's been around too much over the last, you know, several years since he's been reintroduced to the company back in 2006. Yep, he was at Hollywood Studios Moonlight Magic last year. Um, I know, and then they took him away from DCA like two or three weeks before we went in October, and it was the biggest oh. bummer ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet, I bet. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what they're waiting for, quite frankly. I mean, maybe they're waiting for some big splashy announcement. But the fact that he was already here in January for the uh, for the race weekend, I thought that was they were going to make the announcement right then and there. And we're thrilled to announce that Oswald is now a regular meet and greet here at Walt Disney World. But so far, uh, no such luck. Hmm. Yeah, that is a bummer. So kind of sticking with characters, who is your favorite villain? Favorite villain? Um, this is a tough one. I like them all um, because I think they each have their own, their own unique story. I, I, I'm going to say Scar. Now, Scar is very sinister, clearly. I mean, <laughs> what he did to his big brother and then made his nephew sort of take the heat for it is obviously very devious. But it's funny because, again, me being sort of a, uh, a nerd or a researcher, if you will, I found some fan-made video on YouTube probably five years ago. Um, but it was so compelling, even though it was a fan-made thing, that talked about what it was like growing up being Scar, right? Like, he, he was never going to be the king. Um, you know, so growing up in the shadow of Mufasa and having Mufasa as your older brother and, and going through life like that, it kind of maybe didn't necessarily justify his horrible villainous behavior but it maybe gave you a little bit more perspective on like what it was like for him and how he became who he became based on the way he grew up hmm. you know you almost have empathy for the guy you know when, when you when you grow up like that again I'm, this is all hypothetical Disney never came out and said well here's why Scar is the way he is but if you I mean for those of us who grew up with older brothers like you know I did <laughs> it's not the easiest thing in the world um so not to say I would ever throw him off a cliff or anything like that, but you sort of you sort of understand kind of how Scar came to be when you when you get into his backstory a little bit. Hmm. I'm sensing like a movie from that. I feel like it's like a wicked kind of vibe, you know? Like Maleficent. There yeah. should be. We need there some kind be. of movie. <laughs> so next one would be what upcoming movie are you most excited or most looking forward to? 
Well, I mean, there's no shortage of them this year, obviously, um, with all the live action stuff coming out, Lion King just talked about. But I think I think it's got to be Toy Story 4. Um, I love Toy Story 3. I think it was probably the perfect ending, um, you know, with Andy going off to college and, and giving his toys um, to Bonnie. Uh, but I'll be interested to see where they go from here. And the, t- the trailers have certainly done enough to entice me uh, and pique my curiosity. So I, I'll go with Toy Story 4. I will say, I... I'm definitely looking forward to that, but I'm also very curious to see, like, what else they can possibly do. I mean, kind of like you said, I definitely thought that was the end. We're all going to be a puddle by the end of it. Oh, for sure. Oh, that, yeah, that, that, no, no matter what happens, that, that is guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, any mention of Andy, for sure, be a puddle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, the one turn. thing about that series, too, and again, I sort of discovered this in my, in my book uh, reading, the voice of Andy was the same throughout all three movies. And so the character and, you know, the actor who, who, who voiced Andy grew up, you know, at the same pace of Andy. So even though the first movie and the second movie were, what, 20 years apart, 1995 to 2010, 15 years apart, um, same actor, same voice actor through all three. Interesting. Huh, that is I a cool fact. That. Yeah. So I guess our last question for our new Fast Pass round would be what character do you think you are most like? Well, I'm not going to say Scar because I'm <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if my older brother were to hear this interview, he'd be like, "Wait a second, you you aren't throw me off a cliff one day?" No, um, not happening. But uh, what am I most like? <sighs> that is a tough one. I would say maybe maybe Tigger. You know, I, I, I try to see the world, you know, in an upbeat way. Um, I try to look for the good in things. There's an innocence about Tigger. I think that is that is nice. Um, I've never seen him sad or depressed. Um, so I, I like to think that I, I try to be like Tigger and be the cheerful guy who's always trying to make people laugh and cheer people up and, and help people, uh, you know, get through their day. I love that. That is such a good one. That is a good one. Next, whenever you go to Disneyland, you'll have to go into Beast Library and take that quiz and let us know what the results are. Okay, good, good. Oh, yes. Yeah, and since we since we last talked, um, you know, we talked about Disneyland being the great pilgrimage. I mentioned my younger brother earlier in the uh, episode. He actually lives out in Southern California now, not even an hour from Disneyland. So he's uh, he's been getting that made to come out there. I think we're going to plan something for this summer you know, late summer, early fall. So I'll be sure to let you guys know if that happens. Yeah, we look forward to following along. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, well, awesome. Well, Matt, I thank you so much for joining us again. We had such a blast catching up. Um, and we're really excited about this new project that you're undertaking. And I know our listeners will enjoy it as well. Um, so one last thing, if you can just let our listeners know again where they can connect with you online. Yeah, sounds good. Bernie Cabins, thank you so much. Yeah, so Instagram, it's Paparazzi. And through there, you can find links to the uh, through the Hospitality Vitae site where you can find some of my blog posts as well. Yeah, and there's a lot of other great travel and hospitality-related blogs on there as well that I've been reading. So That's right. I'll put there. a plug in for the uh, the owner of the site, her name's Atesia. I work with her. We work for a global hospitality company. Uh, so that's why I'm sort of the resident Disney writer for the site. But to your point, it's so much more of the Disney content. Uh, it's travel, tourism, leisure, etc. So 
definitely worth checking out some of the other stuff on there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We had a blast chatting with you. Thank you guys so much. Do you like Star Wars? How about Marvel? How about Disney? If you answered yes to any of these, we'd love to have you listen to our new podcast, Kingdom Outcast. We're just three guys chatting about news, topics, and events in the Disney universe. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.